Welcome to Dare to Dwell, a podcast with the Daughters of St. Paul. We're so glad you're here. This season, we are gathering around the mics to share about the love of God poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. You can find out more about our work on social media at Daughter St. Paul. Enjoy today's episode. Hi, welcome to Dare to Dwell, a podcast with the Daughters of St. Paul. My name is Sister Oriane Pietro-Renee. I'm Sister Julie Benedicta. And today we are delving into another double whammy. Yep. Yep. So we are going to be looking at The Sanctifier by Archbishop Luis Martinez, and we're looking at chapter 17 and 18, The Mystery of the Cross and Our Response to Christ Crucified. This is going to be a hard hitter, guys. It is. Yeah. Not because of us. No. (laughs) But because of what this means for us as Christians. Yeah. And he starts it off immediately with a hard hitter. Mm -hmm. The very first line, a true devotion to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit leads to one end, the cross. The true and supreme glorification of the Father, the highest expression of love on earth, the central point of the will of God. Yeah. Boom. Boom. And and we might we might read that and say, like, oh. <laughs> I didn't realize where this was going. You know, I was I was once with one of my my very dear friends um at an art gallery. Uh we were both teaching abroad in England together, and she does not come from a Christian faith. And she asked me very honestly a very good question. She, we were walking through, I don't remember what time period of paintings we were in, but we kept passing paintings of the crucifixion over and over and over again, right? And they Mm. were all seen as masterpieces, all in their own right, very different portrayals each time, but nevertheless, Jesus on a cross. And at one point we got to this one room and there was this (laughs) inescapably large, uh, particular painting. I have no idea who did it. It wasn't my favorite in terms of composition, but it was very striking in what it was communicating, truly. And it took up like the whole wall of this of one side of this room. And a bunch of people were stopping there looking at it. And we stopped and we looked at it. And I really did take a moment to kind of examine one part of it that I found very moving, even though it wasn't my favorite style. Mm-hmm. And my friend looked at me and she was like, can I just ask you a question? I was like, yeah, of course. I mean, my friends know they can ask me anything (laughs) about anything. And she said something to the effect of like, so why do you guys paint over and over like the most morbid part of somebody's life? Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, I never quite thought of it that way. But actually, it's a really good question. It's an excellent question. Yeah. (laughs) And I was so glad she asked because in that moment, it really forced me to articulate in words why I, I as a Christian, can look at that painting and fully recognize that if we're looking at morbidity in terms of pain and death, yeah, you could say that that was the most morbid yeah. moment of Christ's life and even of our own faith. Yeah. But it was the greatest act of love. Yep. That is why we paint it. You will never, you will never encounter a greater act of love than that. And that is why we commemorate it over and over and put it before our eyes over and over and over again. Exactly. And just like, you know, I love this quote. and I probably would have thought of it immediately, even if Martinez hadn't quoted it right away <laughs> from St. Paul when he says that he he doesn't he desires to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Yeah. And what I love about that 
is Paul's writing to the Corinthians who are making all kinds of interesting choices. And he's trying to help them to make better choices. <laughs> yes, that's one way of putting it. <laughs> As a former preschool teacher might put it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and he says, I resolved to know nothing among you yeah. except Christ and him crucified. Like that that would be the answer to all of their difficulties. Mm-hmm. And, and he also, when he, when he writes to the Galatians, he talks about, he says something to the effect of like, to you before whose eyes Christ was portrayed as crucified. Mm. So already when, when Paul's writing to the Galatians, there are portrayals of the crucifixion yeah. happening, mm-hmm. um, probably visual, probably artistic. And, and I think that's an interesting thing that sometimes people miss because often we'll get asked, like, why do we leave Jesus on the cross? Right. Or yeah. why do we use this instrument of torture as a symbol of our faith? Mm-hmm. And like, <laughs> it was so intuitive for them, for people, for the early Christians who understood what the cross was about on a profound level, that they were already doing it in the yeah. first generation of Christianity. Mm-hmm. So it goes all the way back to that. And what I love is Martinez gives this like this like he kind of exclaims halfway through the chapter all of a sudden he says god dies to glorify god Mm. exclamation point yeah (laughs) (laughs) yes like that's what it's about yeah god dies to glorify god and and we think about you know at mass (laughs) i was once asked by a middle schooler what was my favorite part of mass and i think they were being a little bit sarcastic like they Mm -hmm. were kind of like what what is there what is there good or interesting to find sure. to be your favorite part of this thing? And it's like, oh, <laughs> my dear sweet summer child. Um, uh, and I thought about it for a second, and I thought, you know what? Actually, my very favorite part of the mass is when the priest offers God to God, and they kind of looked at me like I had four heads. Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, when when Father takes the Eucharist and he lifts it up and he says, through him, in him, and with him, that's what he's doing. He is offering God to God. And not only is he doing that, but we are all being carried up together with that sacrifice to the Father. Mm -hmm. Like we are in Christ, we are with Christ, and through Christ we are offered to the Father in that moment. And that's just like, to me, whenever I really take the time, and I have to admit, I don't do it often enough, but whenever I really do take the time to really enter into that moment or to allow the Lord to kind of speak to me in that moment or to show me what it is that he's desiring for me in that moment. Mm -hmm. I always find it very moving. Yeah. I'm glad that you bring that up, Sister Benedicta, because if you are following along with the book itself and you have already read chapter 17, you will have noticed this. If you're not following along with the book, no worries. (laughs) But Martinez, throughout these two chapters, over and over again, goes back to the mass. Mm -hmm. And he talks about how All devotion, all prayer is glorifying God, but the Mass in a particular way. And because it it is a perpetuation of that one, once for all, sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. And, you know, we're all human and, you know, we live adjacent to a particular parish or maybe we have to drive out to our parish and we go to parishes filled with other humans and, and run by other humans. Run by other humans. <laughs> it can be very easy for a whole host of reasons for us to miss those moments in the Mass. Yeah. And therefore miss intentionally uniting ourselves in participation to that moment. And maybe it's because we're distracted. 
by something going on. Maybe it's because we're tired and we're zoned out. Maybe it's because the music is driving us crazy and we're thinking of five million reasons that we could change it or like Mm -hmm. things that we could do. And we forget that something eternal and life-saving is happening in front of us. Mm -hmm. I think this is where we can really lean on the Holy Spirit, whose action it is, who brought about Christ in the Eucharist in the first place, right? Yeah. When the priest calls on the Holy Spirit to come down and sanctify these gifts for the Father. And that is a moment where no matter what is driving us crazy, whether it's something interior, something exterior, something physical, something spiritual, maybe it's the priest himself, poor guy. Like, truly, this is a moment where a, we can set aside those, not not in the sense of like shoving them over because we're not really good at that as humans, but we, <laughs> we can lean on the Holy Spirit and say, okay, help me to see you here because I know you're here. Mm-hmm. And this is part of the humility of God that he comes amongst us in our imperfection. Mm-hmm. That is just as true in a mass that looks beautiful as a mass that does not, right? Yeah. And It is just as true when we are aware of our brokenness as when we are not. (laughs) This is something that really challenges us to know how deeply we are loved. Yeah. Yeah. And and to remember, too, that like at every mass, the grace that is offered is infinite. Yeah. Now, the beauty of the mass and the way that it's celebrated or, well, rather than or, and the way that I have prepared myself to be at that Mass, yeah. all of those kinds of things, those are what dispose me to receive the grace. Yes. So the grace that's offered is infinite. Yes. The grace that I will receive is most likely finite. <laughs> <laughs> the and, way we correspond to it is, yeah. Right. And so I can open myself up to receive as much of the grace that God is offering as possible. Mm-hmm. Yes, the beauty of the mass can also help me to open myself up. The objective, like external beauty of the things around me, whether it's a beautiful church building or not, whether the music is beautiful or not, whether Father chants beautifully or not, (laughs) all of those things can dispose me to receive more grace. Yeah. But the infinite grace is still available. Mm -hmm. And above all, I think the thing that is the most important, because those, it's easy to get kind of wrapped up in that, like, what am I getting out of mass or Mm -hmm. what am I putting into mass? But I feel like for me, the like the main point of this chapter is wrapped up in this line. Perhaps in heaven, we shall see that glorification and love are the same. Mm. That only love glorifies God. And that in glorification alone, does love find its rest and its peace. Mm. On earth, we do not see this. Yeah. And then he goes on and he says, love is surrender. It is giving. It is the sweet communication of our whole being with that of the beloved. And that ultimately is the point. Mm -hmm. And I think the cross really allows in an incredibly visual way um, what it means to offer your whole being, Mm -hmm. like every fiber of who and what you are. I really like how After he talks about that, he kind of starts talking about, okay, if Jesus, as as the Son of God, right, as the second member of the Trinity, offered him his whole self there Mm -hmm. with that kind of love, Mm -hmm. that kind of love which glorifies the Father, that kind of love which brings us up into right relationship, like heals our broken bond, 
Yeah. Um, he then says, the love of the creature, which is us, <laughs> since it is a reflection of eternal love, is also a total and most sweet donation. Mm-hmm. And to me, that is so humbling because it really does remind us that not only are we called to participate in Christ's sacrifice, we're not only are we called to unite ourselves to the cross, but God values our offering. Like truly, 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 truly. Yeah. And Martinez kind of breaks this down in a cool way. He reminds us, I'm really glad he does this because I always get sad when angels get missed as creatures and we just think about (laughs) ourselves all the time. But he says, angels are creatures. Angels accomplish it in the peace and joy of their spiritual and immaculate nature. On earth, the supreme donation of love cannot be made except in pain and death. And when I read that, I was like, oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> talk about morbid, but it's not. And he, he goes on to say, this might seem to be an imperfection, yet this wretchedness of ours is the word that he uses, is the occasion of exquisite happiness, singular glory. Give me a lover, says Augustine, and he will understand what I am saying. Mm-hmm. So. This is something that I kind of had to sit with when I was reading this chapter and recognizing that when we truly love, there is a longing there and that longing kind of hurts, Mm -hmm. right? But it's not a bad hurt. You don't wish it away. Right. You value that. When when a woman is giving birth, it hurts a lot. Mm -hmm. That is a huge understatement. I'm not sure how to overstate it. (laughs) I don't think it can be overstated. That is truly an act of love for her child. Mm -hmm. When... You know, there's countless other examples of how someone suffers out of love for their child, but that suffering itself is an act of love and leads to a joy. It's not the suffering itself that is the joy. No. It is the love. Yeah, we're not talking about like a masochistic, like desire for pain itself, pain for its own sake. Yeah. We are talking about like when I see someone that I love suffering, it hurts me. Right. Because. Because I love. (laughs) Because we love. And in fact, in some ways, it inflames my love. It helps me to be more attentive to the fact that I love this person. Mm -hmm. Or even like in maybe a a more kind of everyday sort of way, Mm -hmm. um, the sense of of having feelings for someone or a crush on someone. Right. And you don't know if it's like returned or not. (laughs) You know, like there's there is a lacking there Mm -hmm. that is painful. Mm hmm. It's not the excruciating suffering of the cross. It's not the excruciating suffering of a parent with a sick child right. or a dying child. Mm-hmm. But it is still pain. And it is it does still cause the love, if it is really love, right, to be kind of stirred up and, and to grow. intensified. Yeah. Yeah. Which is and such a mystery. I love I, as I was kind of thinking about that point of of just like that it's not about the pain itself, that mm-hmm. it's about the relationship. I found myself in um, in that book again, Personal Prayer, from Father Thomas Acklin and Father Boniface Hicks. And there's a section on dying to self. Mm. And what I loved in what they had to say, because they're talking about, the whole book's about prayer, right? So they're talking about how dying to self affects our life of prayer. Mm-hmm. And so they're less interested in like developing the moral life or or what does it mean for for my actions or for my vocation or whatever. They're more interested in what does it mean in my prayer and in my relationship with God, which 
Another way of saying that is, what does it mean for my love for God? Mm. Right. And so they quote our favorite passage, Galatians 2.20, it is no longer <laughs> I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Yeah. And they say, if that's true, then I want to only to do whatever he tells me. I only want what he wants. We need to take back all the crosses we've given to others, even the crosses that we've given to ourselves, and carry the cross of dying to self. We must deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. But instead of imagining that we are carrying our cross alone, we should see him coming to help us carry it, leading the way to resurrection. This means taking up our cross and not focusing on our cross or on ourselves, but on him. This means taking up our cross and not feeling sorry for ourselves, but rather focusing on him and letting him help us. And what I love about that is they're pointing to, it's not about the cross. It's mm -hmm. not about the pain. Mm -hmm. It is about the relationship, the love, and it is about the resurrection. Mm -hmm. Because that is what the point, that is the point of the cross. That is what the cross leads to. Right. It does not have value in and of itself. And in fact, if, if Jesus had not risen on the third day, it would be absurd and ridiculous and sadistic for us to use the cross as a symbol of our faith. Mm. Yeah, I think, you know, I can remember some times in my own life and one in particular where I was abroad, you know, doing things, working, <laughs> <laughs> earning a living. and Cousin trouble. Yeah, <laughs> as I do. And my family and friends were going through a hard time back home. Mm. And we're really suffering. And there was nothing that I could do either abroad or had I been there. Mm -hmm. But a huge part of me wanted to drop everything, quit my job, you know, pay off the rest of the lease on on, on the flat and, and not worry about it, you know, mm -hmm. and just go home and be with them. Even though I yeah. couldn't do anything, yeah. I just wanted to be there suffering with them. I didn't want to suffer. I had no desire to suffer, but I wanted to be with them in what they were experiencing. And I wanted that because I loved them. Yeah. And I didn't want them to feel like they were there alone. And that feeling in and of itself, I didn't end up uh, quitting my job and dropping everything. <laughs> I did I did make a decision not to prolong or extend the contract, and that was part of the reason. But um, it was it was kind of grappling with those own feelings of my desire to go there, even though I couldn't do anything. And even though they told me themselves, there's nothing you can do. There's nothing you could do. Just, you know, finish, finish your contract. You like where you are. You like doing what you're doing. But grappling with that really kind of helped me understand what it means for us as Christians to long for, quote unquote, mm -hmm. suffering. Mm -hmm. Not again, not for suffering's sake, mm -hmm. but because basically what that is an expression of is that we long to be where Jesus is because we love him. Yeah. And for some people especially, just as Martinez was talking about how we're all called to kind of show forth different aspects of Christ, for all of us in some ways, but for some people in special ways, that place of reflection and, um, you know, really showing forth some aspect of Christ is Christ crucified. Mm -hmm. And it is a beautiful thing to want to be where Christ is. And we, we do have to recognize that he is everywhere, Right. He is in joy. He is in suffering. He is in fill in the blank, except in sin. He's not in sin, but he comes to us even in the midst of our own to pull us out. He's not in the sin itself, but he is in the situation. Absolutely. Yeah, and in where us. Where the sin takes place, yeah. Right. But 
when we are faced truly with moments of suffering, especially ones that we cannot escape or should not escape, Mm -hmm. it's really important for us to kind of take a moment to remember that Christ himself took on this experience so that he could be with us in our suffering because he loves us. And likewise, as he is being formed in us by the Holy Spirit, this gives us an opportunity, a very unique one, to live out the the priesthood of our baptism. Again, not ordained priesthood necessarily. Most of us are not ordained. <laughs> but, but the priesthood of baptism to mm-hmm. say, you know what? You came and offered yourself for me in suffering so that I would never be alone in suffering again. Never again. Yeah. And I want to offer myself to you in suffering so you know you're not alone in this either. Right? And I mean, Christ was not alone on the cross, obviously. But... This is a way where, where when Paul says, like, I, I want to offer myself so that I will make up what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ, nothing inherent was lacking in the, the sufferings of Christ no. except our participation in yeah. it, except the unity of our hearts to his. Yeah. So when we are able to offer that situation and ourselves in it to him, what a consolation that is to his heart mm-hmm. and to ours. Yeah. And the beauty of that, too, is, like, it requires— it requires so much trust, which has to flow from love. And like the whole time I was reading this chapter, I just kept thinking about um, the abandonment to divine providence. And there's so much, I mean, like it's kind of the topic of the whole book. Mm. <laughs> um, and abandonment to divine providence is also a book. Yes, it is also a book, mm-hmm. which we have a brand new translation of available. So <laughs> if you're interested in it, that's what I'm quoting from. The... But what I love is there's so much in the abandonment to divine providence that are just they're short little meditations, mm-hmm. um, but they're all about trust, and they're uh, so many of them are about the present moment and and being accepting of the present moment and mm-hmm. what is happening and finding the will of God in our present circumstances in whatever it is that is presenting itself to us. And so I've been praying with that kind of a lot, and. One of the one of the quotes in this book is from chapter seven says, if what God himself chooses for you is not enough, what else can satisfy your desires? Mm-hmm. Wow. If you turn away from the meal, the divine will is prepared for you. What food will not prove insipid to a taste so impoverished? Mm. A soul cannot be truly nourished, strengthened, purified, enriched or sanctified except by the fullness of the present moment. Mm. What more would you have? Are you wiser than God? <laughs> Sometimes I think we think we are. Are you wiser than God? Since he ordains it to be thus, why would you want it to be otherwise? Can his wisdom and goodness err? Hmm. His wisdom and his goodness. I love that pairing. Yes. It's his wisdom. He knows yeah. what's going to come of the situation. He knows what could come of the situation. He knows what's led to the situation. But also his goodness. What is it that he desires for us? Ultimately, it's the resurrection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think St. Paul you know, I'm blanking right now, but I believe it's in Corinthians, talks about like the folly of the cross Mm -hmm. and how, yeah, he basically, he says like, yeah, we can look at that and say that it's foolish, Mm -hmm. but he's like, well, in that case, the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. Exactly. And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Exactly. Yeah. And then again, in the abandonment to divine providence is a few chapters later, he says all things alike, everything. Assist the soul's progress toward the infinite. All things offer the soul equal means of sanctification. Mm. 
the soul always finds the one thing necessary for it in the present moment. Like, no matter what it is, it has potential to bring us closer to God. Mm -hmm. Whatever it is, whether it's enjoyable, not enjoyable, whether it's an absolutely the largest sharing of the cross we've ever experienced in our life. Yeah. It all has the potential to bring us closer to God. And then finally, this is the last time I'll quote it, but this is like <laughs> even more chapters later. <laughs> um, he says, in souls abandoned to God, everything is efficacious. Everything is a sermon and everything is apostolate. Hmm. And when we say apostolate, we mean like the work of the apostle, right? The work of one who is trying to do the work of Jesus in the world. Right. So in a soul that is given over to God, in any one of us, as we attempt to let God have total reign in our lives, everything is efficacious. The traffic jam that we had to sit in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Everything is a sermon. The way we were kind to the grumpy cashier. Right. (laughs) Everything is apostolate. Everything. And I. I think for me, that requires a little bit more faith than sometimes I'm comfortable with. Mm -hmm. But I was remembering kind of sitting with, not very long ago, just sometime in this past year, I was was really just kind of placing myself before the Lord and kind of feeling all of my mess Mm -hmm. and feeling all of the ways that I fail him and feeling all of the ways that nothing that I do is efficacious, nothing that I do is apostolate. Like it just kind of felt like, like, how do I describe it? Like, it just kind of felt like I was a failure. Mm-hmm. Like I was just a big mess that needed to be cleaned up and like put away in a box on the side <laughs> so I couldn't get in the way anymore. Sure. And in that prayer, the Lord brought me to a place where I could feel peace. He didn't tell me I'm not a mess, mm-hmm. but he brought me to a place where I could feel peace with the mess that I am. Mm. And what he showed me was that I could be serene in the fact that I am a work in progress. hmm but even more than that, like even more than that, that serenity with kind of what is, <laughs> um, what I found was that he was kind of bringing up in me a desire to let him work on my heart forever. Mm. Like, like to let that be his project and that it could be little by little at whatever pace he determined was best. And I just, I found myself like really wanting, like asking him, like consecrate me to your power, like consecrate me to all of the work that you want to do and whatever it takes, Lord, just like, please keep working on me mm-hmm. and let it be ongoing. And kind of within that same prayer experience, I was I was really noticing how moments of frustration or difficulty or discouragement or annoyances in community mm-hmm. or whatever, like these little pricks of pain that can't necessarily quite be called suffering. <laughs> sure. That these actually become like an amazing training ground mm-hmm. for sanctity mm-hmm. and for what Pauline scholars would call cruciformity, becoming conformed to the cross of Christ. That like they, they kind of help us to build up um, not exactly the callous, but more like the ability to withstand mm-hmm. that which is then required of us in order to live the cross. I really like how you're pulling out, Sister Benedicta, that you know, that prayer that we can have of like letting this be an ongoing work in progress, because in a sense, I mean, there's lots of ways we can experience that, but many times it does come as a longing, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in in his chapter um, 17 about the mystery of the cross, Martinez pulls out how 
in a sense, Jesus longed for the cross. Yeah. He longed for the cross for what, okay, Martina says, Jesus carried in his heart for 33 years <laughs> the cruel, torturing martyrdom of longing for sacrifice and of waiting for the hour appointed by the Heavenly Father. Mm-hmm. So why was he longing for the cross? He came to redeem us. Yeah. This is why he came. This was the love that was the impetus of his incarnation. He was longing for that moment of redemption. But in order to get to that, he had to pass through the appointed time, right, of those 33 years of of his showing us bit by bit by bit what it means to live out a life of love. Yeah. Because a life of love is not passed in a single moment on the cross. As you're saying, all those little things leading up to it, that's the journey Mm-hmm. to the cross it's mm-hmm. not the journey to yay i'm fine everything's okay <laughs> it's the journey to the cross itself yeah the cross is the culmination and the result is the resurrection right right is like, redemption and life it's called the christian life like this was yes. kind of the revelation to me in my in my prayer was like mm-hmm. yeah i called you to religious life not <laughs> religious year not religious <laughs> yeah. decade yeah religious life it is called the, the christian life mm-hmm. and it is not accomplished in a moment and we call it practicing our faith for a reason yeah (laughs) yes (laughs) (laughs) i love that too that what you're pulling out is like his desire to sacrifice for god Mm -hmm. and i think sometimes people forget that ours is a religion of sacrifice yeah like for us worship is sacrifice Mm -hmm. even the psalms call it a sacrifice of praise right right Mm -hmm. like i will offer to god a sacrifice of praise So even the praise that we offer is a sacrifice. And of course, there are varying levels of sacrifice. Yes. But as there was in the Old Testament even, right? Right. Yeah. That is that is our form of worship. It is. Yeah. That that giving, that offering, that surrender. So when you think of it that way, it makes sense that Jesus would be longing to offer the ultimate sacrifice to the Father because he had the most perfect understanding of what worship really would be. Mm hmm. And he also had the most perfect understanding of what he would be accomplishing. Yes. Right. Which is part of the reason I love that quote from Hebrews that I've lost count of how many times I've quoted it. But (laughs) for the sake of the joy that lay before him, he knew what the joy was that lay before him. Mm -hmm. And for the sake of that, he endured the cross Yeah, because he knew where he was going. He knew what he was accomplishing. And the joy was not like, yes, sometimes I do emphasize like the joy was so that he could have us with him. But the joy was also to to render this perfect act of worship to the Father. Mm -hmm. And you know, the amount of vulnerability that comes with that openness to love Mm. can't really be underestimated. I think when we talk about the importance of vulnerability and love, if if we misunderstand that, it can sound like something that means I don't have boundaries or I don't have, um, you know, the ability to step away and protect myself when it's necessary. But what we're really talking about is, are we willing to risk and experience pain mm-hmm. that comes with you know the the journey towards deeper intimacy with those who do truly love us or yeah. that we truly love and Jesus is really the the example par excellence mm-hmm. <laughs> of this type of love because truly h- how do you get more vulnerable than that and he he truly gave himself up. He could have fought us off. 
there were many times he could have called down a legion of angels. He could have just not gone to the place. He could have, <laughs> there are so many different opportunities he had and he didn't take any of them. And even when he was on the cross itself and the people were mocking him, they were like, well, if you're the son of God, like get down from the cross, save yourself. He could have, but he didn't. And why? He was willing not only to risk that pain, but to actually experience it and to go through with it all the way. Yeah. In order to get to that place of healing, of true intimacy with us in a way that allows us intimacy with a father. Yeah. That we didn't have access to before because of our own choices, right? Right. We, as a, as a people, and even sometimes us as vi- individuals, we can point to experiences within ourselves where we can recognize this. We were not willing to face the pain yeah. in order to have either healing, intimacy, or life. Mm-hmm. And Jesus really does challenge us out of that. And that can be very difficult because mm, pain is not fun. And we do have a natural um, inclination to start building up like spiritual calluses or emotional mm-hmm. calluses. Mm-hmm. But we can really lean on Jesus and ask him for the grace to be willing to risk again, be willing to have the vulnerability to forgive, mm. be willing to have the vulnerability to know that, yeah, you know, maybe if I call home right now to talk to my mom, she might chide me about something that really isn't important at all. And it's going to drive me absolutely crazy. And I'm so sick of hearing this, but maybe it's worth it to get to that deeper level of relationship with her. Yeah. Maybe if we work through this, even if, it, even if it never quite goes away the way that I was wishing it would go away, we're actually going to become better friends yeah. because we're going to be able to talk about other things when she's done about that thing, you know? <laughs> and and truly, those are those little, they're little in comparison to a they lot of other really things. They really are, yeah. But they are the moments that we flee. Mm-hmm. And if we flee those moments, what what is that helping to build in us in terms of being able to stick around in loyalty when people need us, you know? When God is asking for our love. Yeah. And I think um, St. Augustine has this really beautiful quote where he says, could we love him unless he first loved us? Like, no, we, we couldn't, but he did it first. And then yeah. he says, though we were slow to love, let us not be slow to love in return. Mm-hmm. And I just, yeah, it's true. I love that. Yeah. Can I get really nerdy for a minute? Do it, girl. Okay. So just a couple of quotes that I found as I was praying with this. Um, that I wasn't sure I was going to share. It was more just like using them in my prayer. But they're from uh, Cardinal Ratzinger before he was Benedict XVI, his book, uh, Introduction to Christianity. Mm -hmm. And there was one that I found particularly moving. Uh, He says, in the New Testament, the cross appears primarily as a movement from above to below. It stands there not as the work of expiation that mankind offers to the wrathful God, but as the expression of, of that foolish love of God's that gives itself away to the point of humiliation in order thus to save man. It is his approach to us, not the other way around. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes we forget that. Mm -hmm. And then he also talks about how God does not seek bulls and goats, but man. Like God's not looking for the sacrifice of all these things that we have. Mm -hmm. He's looking for us, for our very person. And then he says, he, he uses the word man to mean all of humanity. Man's unqualified yes to God could alone form true worship. Everything belongs to God. 
but to man is lent the freedom to say yes or no, the freedom to love or reject. Love's free yes is the only thing for which God must wait. The only worship or sacrifice that can have any meaning. But the yes to God in which man gives himself back to God cannot be replaced. Mm. Like, (laughs) the only thing that God ever has to wait for is for me to get over my stubbornness. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But I just, I love that he reverses He reverses the whole concept. Like, I think so often we think we're offering something to God in order Mm -hmm. to kind of like appease him or something like that can become so much part of our kind of cultural imagination. Mm -hmm. And but Benedict's like, no, 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 no. It's the opposite. Right. Like God is like foolishly putting himself into this vulnerable and painful place. And then he's humiliating himself. (laughs) This divinity, this omnipotent divinity is humiliating himself to just wait. Mm-hmm. And see if we will love him back. Yeah. And for us to offer our love to him in that in that invitation, in that space, to to allow him to to pick up the gift of our love, for all of us, that will look different because our lives are different, our persons are different, our circumstances are different. It can be very easy to be daunted. Mm-hmm. By the lives of the saints just as much as it is easy to be inspired by them. And, um, you know, we can look at martyrs or, or, or even, you know, people who, saints who truly suffered and, and requested that suffering. And, and maybe we feel an attraction to that. Like maybe we see what the beauty in that is mm-hmm. w- without, without kind of leaning in the, the direction of suffering for suffering's sake. But for many of us, we may also respond with like, so A, I'm never going to be martyred, so does that mean I will never love fully? Mm. Or B, I don't have any desire <laughs> for that kind of martyrdom or suffering. Does that mean that I don't desire to love you? Mm. And, and I think it's really important that we kind of break down that understanding because we will all be asked a different type of martyrdom right? A different type of offering our whole self. Mm -hmm. And Martinez on page 125, he says, each priest, by which he means each soul, again, not the ordained priesthood necessarily, must carry within himself that intimate reflection of the cross, that echo of Calvary. Each priest, each soul must answer the sacrifice of Jesus with his own. The solemn and glorious martyrdom of blood, which we see often in history, sometimes still today, is not the only one. There are personal martyrdoms, meritorious and cruel, unseen by man, but seen by God. Each virtue can have its own martyrs. Charity, queen of them all, has many very great ones. So when he's saying meritorious and cruel, like he's just letting you know, God sees your sufferings. Yeah, He does not make light of them. He's not comparing yours to someone else's. He knows how hard they are for you. And he's not making light of that. And maybe charity should be the queen of any and all martyrdom, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I love that line, each virtue can have its own martyrs. Yeah. Like, we each are going to struggle with a different virtue, like, yes. and in different ways and in different combinations. Mm-hmm. And to die to myself in the face of the virtue or for the sake of the virtue that I find the most difficult. Right. 
is a kind of martyrdom. Yeah. I was thinking, I know some people um, find Flannery O'Connor like a little too gruesome <laughs> for their own taste. I really love her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's a story, I can't, the name of the story is escaping me right now, but there's a character in it. She's a young teenage girl. And um, these girls are kind of like musing about what it would be like to be a martyr. Hmm. And this character says something to the effect of, I think I could bring myself to be a martyr if they would do it quickly. Oh, gosh. <laughs> you know, conditions on the pain. Yeah. And like the idea of like, yeah, if you could make it painless, I could I could be a martyr. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is like not that the point. <laughs> it's like the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, well, OK. okay. Yeah. Like, where's the offering? You know, mm-hmm. like, it, and, and that's that's the humor. That's the irony that, right. that Flannery O'Connor is putting in there. And that's part of her genius. But this idea that each virtue can have its own martyrs mm-hmm. and that that's not something that's just going to, like, be taken care of quickly. That it's going to happen, yeah. like I was saying before, like, over and over and over again. And each time, hopefully just a little deeper and a little more effective. Mm-hmm. And And you will come to know your own martyrdom, you know, mm-hmm. like whether it's to patience, whether it's to learning to love, whether it's to forgiveness, whether it's to chastity, whether it's Mm -hmm. to obedience, whether it's to self-control, like all of those things and many others, Mm -hmm. that can be our place of offering, our place of surrender, our place of growth and healing and life, right? The thing that helps bring us to resurrection. So yeah, I, I, I really hope that if you get one thing out of listening to this, um, that you know that God knows where you are and where your Calvary will be. Mm-hmm. And he values that beyond belief. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the unseen by man, but seen by God. Right. Nobody around us may know very well what we're suffering. Mm-hmm. They may. Nobody around us may know exactly how hard we are trying in the face of this difficult virtue to try to achieve. But God does. Right. He sees it and he honors it and he loves it and he knows that it's our offering of love for him. Mm-hmm. And just as we long to offer ourselves to Christ on the cross, like he's already given himself to us in that, you mm-hmm. know. I think you had a challenge, Sister Benedicta. I saw your wheels spinning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think my challenge would be to just kind of reflect with the idea and to kind of like gauge I need to do this too. Like just to gauge kind of like what is my openness to the idea that what I can't possibly imagine now to be good will become exactly what I need and even what I desire as I go cro- grow closer to God. Mm. Because the cross is so counterintuitive, right? Yes. So like am I open to the idea that the things that look bad could actually be what is good for me? Right. And I'm not saying to like maybe to like try to decide what those things are, but just am I open Am I open enough that if God were to show it to me, I would believe him? Hmm. And to just kind of spend some time with that question. And then the challenge then after that would be to begin with the next little thing. Hmm. Mm -hmm. What might be the next little incremental thing that would be drawing me closer to God? Like open myself up, say, okay, I'm a work in progress. (laughs) Yep. Little by little, you're going to be working on my heart. I want to cooperate. What's the next little thing? Might it be something to improve my health? Might it be something to improve a particular relationship? What is the next little thing that the Lord is inviting me to? And how might Jesus be inviting me to deeper generosity or trust in his truth? Mm. And just to kind of start there. And then this is kind of the hard part is like, 
as you begin to work on these little things, just pick one, but see how it becomes easy and light. Like what about it becomes easy and light? Because Mm -hmm. Jesus does say that his burden is easy and his burden is light. Because he shares it. Yeah. Because he shares it with us. And there we will find Jesus and we will find yet another desire to grow. Mm-hmm. So like, so that's kind of the cycle that I'm, that I'm maybe kind of inviting us to, to enter into. What's the next little thing? And then as I do it, how does Jesus' presence become apparent to me in the yeah. easiness and the lightness? And then what's the next little desire? What's the next little thing that he wants to work on? And just to like allow that to become kind of this continual, ongoing, deepening cycle with the Lord opening ourselves up to think, okay, it's possible that he can bring good out of this, even though I don't see how now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I guess as we close this episode with our chaplet, um, we'll be offering that especially for that intention that the Holy Spirit will really be able to guide you with courage and confidence and Mm -hmm. and peace in, in that challenge. So this is our chaplet to the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. For the gift of wisdom. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with wisdom, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created. And you will renew the face of the earth. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with wisdom, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created and you will renew the face of the earth. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with wisdom, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created, and you will renew the face of the earth. O Holy Spirit, beloved of my soul, come and make your home in my heart. For the gift of knowledge. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with knowledge, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created, and you will renew the face of the earth. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with knowledge, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created, and you will renew the face of the earth. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with knowledge, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created, and you will renew the face of the earth. O Holy Spirit, beloved of my soul, come and make your home in my heart. For the gift of counsel. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with counsel, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created, and you will renew the face of the earth. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with counsel, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created, and you will renew the face of the earth. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with counsel, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created, and you will renew the face of the earth. O Holy Spirit, beloved of my soul, Come and make your home in my heart. For the gift of fear of the Lord. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with fear of the Lord, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created, and you will renew the face of the earth. 
Come Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with fear of the Lord, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created, and you will renew the face of the earth. Come Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with fear of the Lord, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created, and you will renew the face of the earth. O Holy Spirit, beloved of my soul, come and make your home in my heart. For the gift of understanding. Come Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with understanding, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created, and you will renew the face of the earth. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with understanding, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created, and you will renew the face of the earth. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with understanding, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created, and you will renew the face of the earth. O Holy Spirit, beloved of my soul, Come and make your home in my heart. For the gift of piety. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with piety, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created, and you will renew the face of the earth. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with piety, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created and you will renew the face of the earth. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with piety, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created, and you will renew the face of the earth. O Holy Spirit, beloved of my soul, come and make your home in my heart. And for the gift of fortitude. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with fortitude, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created, and you will renew the face of the earth. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with fortitude, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created, and you will renew the face of the earth. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with fortitude, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created, and you will renew the face of the earth. O Holy Spirit, beloved of my soul, come and make your home in my heart. By myself, I can can do do nothing, nothing, but but with God God I can can do all things. For the love of God I want to do all things. To To him honor and glory, to me the eternal reward. Holy Spirit, vivify me. Love of God, consume me. The way of truth, lead me. With your grace, empower me. You are the promised one sent by the Father, reminding us of all that Jesus' Master taught. I ask you for no other knowledge, no other wisdom, than that of Christ crucified, and that he may live in me. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. Dare to Dwell is a production of the Daughters of St. Paul and is brought to you by our generous supporters on Patreon. For more information about our sisters or ministry, or to learn about how you can support us, 
visit connect.pauline.org slash Patreon. God bless you.